Let's pray. Father, just thank you that you speak to us, that we are your children. And you are our Father. And you love to communicate with us. You love to tell us how much you love us. And you love that we talk to you as well. Father, forgive us for the times when we don't speak to you when we should be. When we find ourselves in situations where we need your help and we don't, we don't cry out to you. We try and do it in our own strength. Forgive us, Lord, for those times. Forgive us when we forget our first love and get distracted by the things of the world. Forgive us, Father. Thank you. Just open our hearts and our spirits and our minds to hear from you now. And just use me as your instrument as I bring your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So over the past months, I have begun to look at the kingdom of God, our new preaching series. I first spoke on the kingdom, looking at how mankind was given authority over the world by God, and how Satan deceived them into handing, uh, handing over that authority, the authority that man had over the world, handed over to Satan. I then looked at the two kingdoms, speaking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, and spoke about how they are not of equal power or size. I said, Satan is a created being, not a king, and does not rule over a kingdom. But he has authority over a territory, a fiefdom, or as I said, a thiefdom, because he is the thief who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Now, I spoke about where Satan came from and how he was cast out of he heaven and the reason for that, of him being cast out of heaven. And then last week, I spoke on the three kingdoms. The kingdom of God is seen in three ways. The kingdoms of power, grace, and glory. And I said this, the kingdom of power includes the entire universe and extends to every living thing and more about that. Now, said so the kingdom of grace does not include all creation, but only those who have been born again through the preaching of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And the kingdom of glory is not on earth, but in heaven, where Christ himself shall have all glory. Today, I want to begin to look at the Old Testament and see where and how the kingdom is revealed in Scripture. And I'm drawing mainly from Derek Morphew's book, Breakthrough, Discovering the Kingdom. Derek Morphew is a, is a vineyard leader, a pastor, a theologian. He's now a theologian, and he's written a number of stuff. And he's an amazing teacher. Also happens to be South African. Um, and uh, he's just really great. And it's such a great book. I'm working my way through it. And um, we want to be speaking about the kingdom. And it's such a good source to use. So I'll be quoting quite a lot from this. Sorry. <laughs> in his book, Derek says, the teaching of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament can be summarized in two statements. The Lord is king, and the Lord will become king. You'll notice that these statements relate to time, present, and future. For the Old Testament people of God, the kingdom was first present, the Lord is king, and then future, will become king. The two statements that summarize the Old Testament teaching relate to the major sections of the Old Testament. The Lord is king reflects the pre-prophetic writings, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the historical books, 
the Psalms and wisdom literature. And these bear witness to the Exodus event, the conquest and the Davidic monarchy, um, up to the time of the nation of Israel being a, a, an established kingdom. The Lord will become king reflects the promise of the prophetic writings which look forward to the messianic coming of the kingdom after the loss of the kingdom during exile. We know the Israelites sinned against God and walked away from God and because of that they were punished and taken out into exile. So there's two distinct parts within the Old Testament and it's split into those two of the Lord is king and the Lord will become king. Today I want us to look at the Exodus story and what revelations of the kingdom, which is the title of this message, we can glean from it. Revelations of the kingdom that we can see in the Exodus story. I trust we're all familiar with the Exodus story, but I will share a little bit about it. Um, it's the account of Israel, the nation that God chooses out of all the nations of the world to be his people. And it's their release from slavery in Egypt. In the Exodus story, we see a clash of two kingdoms, the Israelites and the Egyptians. The power of God against the power of darkness. The God of all creation against the gods of Egypt. And that's gods with a small g. Just to remind you of how the Israelites ended up in Egypt, God chose the family line of Abraham to bless and to be a blessing. Jacob... Abraham's grandson had 12 sons. Joseph, his favorite son, was a dreamer. And because of that, he was despised by his brothers. And he was sold into slavery. Because they were jealous of him and the dreams that he had. He ends up in, in Egypt where he prospers until he is wrongfully accused and ends up in jail. Once more, he prospers in jail and with God's help, interprets dreams which brings him to the attention of Pharaoh, when no one can interpret the dreams that, that Pharaoh had. Joseph, because of his wisdom and because of what he, he says to Pharaoh, becomes the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command. There was no one higher than him except for Pharaoh. And he ensures that there's a stockpile of grain through the drought years. He, in the good years, he stockpiles the grain, so that in the drought years, there's food for all of them. Jacob, who's living in Canaan, um, sends his sons to Egypt to buy grain, and Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes his brothers. And he arranges for the family to relocate to Egypt, where they settle, and over a period of 400 years, they become a nation but they also become enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses, who had a miraculous survival of, uh, at birth when the boys were supposed to be killed off, he survived that and was raised in the house of Pharaoh, but then is exiled because he murders a, an Egyptian and he has to flee from, from Egypt. Moses is called by God to set his people free from slavery and to lead them into the land God has promised them. Pharaoh doesn't want to release the Israelites, which leads to the clash of the kingdom. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. 
Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Derek Morphew says this, The way of Scripture is to show the invisible before the visible. Once the invisible battle has been won, it translates into the visible battle, a point understood by intercessors. Behind the political and military might of Egypt were the spiritual powers of darkness. Now we don't have time to read the whole account of what transpired between Pharaoh and Moses. You can do that at home in your own time. But I'll summarize what happened. Pharaoh hardened his heart and Moses called down plagues upon Egypt. Each plague specifically putting down one or more of the gods or deities of Egypt. Each god of Egypt has a physical representation or symbol. The plagues were, carefully devised, were a carefully devised way of saying, your gods are defeated. The first plague was turning the Nile into blood. The Nile was the sacred abode of Harpy, the Nile god. The blood represents the death of Harpy. The second plague was frogs, the symbol of Hecate, the goddess of fertility. And the goddess of fertility multiplied beyond control. Instead of making the crops and livestock fertile, Hecate herself began to multiply, and there was a plague of frogs. The third plague was of gnats, the symbol of Geb, or Jeb, the god of the earth and vegetation, and once more multiplied out of control. Instead of causing vegetation to multiply, the gnats multiplied. Similarly, the fourth plague was a plague of flies, the symbol of Kepfi, the god of creation, who controlled the movement of the sun, but now a god not in control. The fifth plague was the death of their livestock. And in the, the livestock, there are three symbols represented there. The bull was sacred to Apis, the cows to Hathor, and the ram to Ammon. These are all gods, Egyptian gods. The representation of three Egyptian gods were exterminated. The sixth plague was boils that could not be healed, thus defeating Thoth, or Imohet, Imohet, sorry, Imhotep, the god of medicine, and Isis, the goddess of medicine. The seventh plague was hail, thunder, and lightning, showing that Nut, the goddess of the sky, Shu, the wind god, and Horus, the sky god, were destroyed. The eighth plague of locusts put paid to Nepri, the grain god, Anubis, the god of the fields, and Seth, the protector of crops. The ninth plague was the plague of darkness, where Ra, the sun god, was defeated. Ra was considered the highest of the gods, apart from Pharaoh. The highest of the gods, and the sun was obliterated, blotted out, everywhere except over where the Israelites lived. The sun god was defeated, as was Horus, the god of the sunrise, and Shu, the god of light. And the tenth and final plague was the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh's firstborn son died. In Egyptian belief, it was a, was, the Egyptian belief was the fact that Pharaoh and his firstborn were held to be divine conceptions. They were gods. They were seen as gods. And so when Pharaoh's son died, it meant the greatest god in Egypt had been killed. The death of Pharaoh's firstborn represented the death of a deity, of a god. Dirk Morphew says this, Each plague was preceded by Moses' prediction that it would take place. This made it impossible for the Egyptians to believe that the events were coincidental. 
Pharaoh could not contest the fact that a superior power lay behind the events. The God of Israel was revealing himself as the sovereign Lord of nature. The prediction, timing, and intensity of of events took place at his behest. He showed himself to be king over nature and over the gods of Egypt. And it's quite easy to read the the plagues and think it happened in 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 a moment of time, like a short while, but it actually took months. It was as the seasons evolved, so these plagues took place. It didn't just happen within a week or a month. It took longer than that. We need to be aware of that. We are not left in any doubt as to the meaning of the plagues by this climatic statement that we read in Exodus 12, 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. All the gods of Egypt are judged as the plagues reach their climax with the death of the firstborn. After the tenth plague, Pharaoh finally agrees to let the Israelites leave and take all their possessions with them. And then a short while later, Pharaoh comes to his senses and realizes that he has lost his workforce. The, 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 the Israelites that was, who were slaves worked for him, and he'd lost his workforce, and once again changes his mind, and he sets off with his chariots and army after the Israelites. There'd been a spiritual defeat. Now we'll see the physical. Having defeated the gods of the Egyptians in the heavenly realm, the Lord then defeats the Egyptians on the military front too. When the Israelites see the Egyptian army, they become afraid. But Moses encourages them. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Now God's presence with the Israelites was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And at this time when the army of of Egypt came to attack the Israelites, the pillar moved and positioned himself between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And the Lord tells Moses to raise his staff and stretch out his hand to divide the sea so the Israelites can walk through and then the Egyptians will chase after them. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army, and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. 
Not one of them survived. Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 to 28. The Israelites pass through the waters, but the Egyptians do not, and are drowned as the water rushes back on them. The oppressors are destroyed, and the Israelites are free. The battle has been won by the Lord, and they sing a wonderful song of liberation. It's quite a lengthy passage, but I want to read it. I was debating whether to read it or not, but I think I really do. I want us to read it. It says, And Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its riders he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Pharaoh's chariots and his army is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I'll pursue, I'll overtake them, I'll divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as a stone until your people pass by. O Lord, until the people you brought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. It's Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 18. The Lord will reign for, forever and ever is a promise from God. His kingdom will never end. The king of kings is on his throne watching over his people. He hears their cry and intervenes on their behalf. And that's why we pray each week, because we know we have a God who hears our cries and intervenes on our behalf. The king is against the oppressors of his people. He declares holy war on the gods and powers of Egypt. The king is a mighty man of war, bringing deliverance through the battle. The king's rule means freedom for his people. His kingdom brings liberation. And that's as true then as it is today. The king rules means there's freedom for his people and his kingdom brings liberation. In conclusion, I want to quote Derek Morphew once more. The picture of the kingdom in the Exodus points forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel shows how Jesus is the second greater Moses. And we'll look at that down the line. Just as God came down and intervened for the sake of lost humanity, 
The same sense of powers and collision emerges in the ministry of Jesus. As he cast out demons, healed the sick, stilled the storm, and raised the dead, he was invading the prison house of the strong man and setting captives free. Christians are people who can look back on the Exodus as the first picture of the liberation they have experienced in Christ. As you read this, you, you may remember what your life was like before Christ intervened. You may, on the other hand, find yourself oppressed by pain and misery of a life lived without the reality of God. You too can experience the breakthrough of the kingdom in and through Jesus Christ. Just as the Exodus intervention was an expression of God's grace, so too, in Jesus Christ, God has revealed grace upon grace. God has revealed grace upon grace. So the Exodus story is really carries on right through the kingdom from there in, in Scripture all the way through to the Gospels and beyond. And we're going to look at that over these coming weeks and months as we go through the kingdom series. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have always desired for man to be in relationship with you. You created us as the pinnacle of your creation and you wanted fellowship with us. But man chose to disobey and walk away. But you already had a plan in place to win us back and to bring us back into your kingdom. And thank you that as we look at your kingdom through Scripture, starting in the Old Testament, going through to the New, we will see of your love for us and all that you've done for us. And the symbols that we see back there show us how much you love us and what your plan was and is for us, that we should walk with you, separated from the darkness of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light into the kingdom of our living God. Thank you that we are able to do that because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So there's a clash of kingdoms, kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And we still experience that every day, that clash. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to ask God to be with us as we walk out each day with God. So, discussion time, discussion questions. First question is our normal one. What stood out for you in this message? What struck you? What was it that touched your heart? Secondly, have you ever experienced victory in a spiritual battle and then seen victory in the natural realm? Where you've been struggling against something in the spiritual realm, there's been a, a battle. And when that's been overcome, there's been a battle that you've been having in the natural realm, suddenly there is... Uh, victory in that area as well. Have you ever experienced that? Or have you ever experienced the intervention or protection of the Lord in a situation where you have felt threatened? Have you ever experienced that? The intervention or protection of the Lord in a situation where you have felt threatened? Share about it and then pray for one another. Okay. Thanks, guys.